Good morning, Chapo Baptist. Morning. <laughs> I, I want to uh, start by thanking you because I spoke here a few years ago just for like 10 minutes and you began to support me in my ministry. And so I want to thank you for being a generous and giving church and helping me to do what I do. Uh, first of all, I want you to get your phones out if you have them. I know that they say that you should turn your phone off in church. I want you to do the opposite and turn your phone on. And I'll tell you why later, but you can just put it on mute. So if you have your phone with you, take it out and keep it handy. Can we have the first um, picture up? So this is Beirut, and I lived in West Beirut, which is, uh, used to be um, mixed, but during the Civil War, West Beirut became uh, Muslim Beirut. And so one of those dots is my house, and all of the rest of the dots are buildings that I visited uh, around the city. So I basically covered West Beirut, and I went from building to building, any building that was like five stories or more, because it's a very built-up city. And I would go along and I would talk to the concierge or the janitor. And they are inevitably foreigners. They're Syrians or they're Bangladeshi or they're Sudanese. They're never Lebanese. This is the job that the Lebanese don't want to do. So they live in little small rooms and uh, more recently they brought their families over if they're Syrian. So whole families living in a room about the size of an average New Zealand bathroom. And so I would go along and I would talk to the concierge and I would say to him, uh, are there any maids in your building? And 99% of the time they would say yes because there are about 400,000 maids living in Lebanon. So about one in four families has a live-in maid. You don't need to provide a room for her. She can sleep um, under the kitchen table or in the, in the lounge, on the sofa, out on the balcony, wherever. Like um, my house that I lived in was about 80 square meters, and all of my neighbors had apartments the same size and had live-in maids. So oh, you only have to pay them $150 a month, so it's not big money to have a maid. It's not an upper-class thing. Very middle-class people now in Lebanon have, have a live-in maid. So I would go along and I'd talk to the concierge and I'd say, do you have a maid? Yes. Um, I, you know, it's really hard to be a foreigner. And they would always agree with me because they're foreigners themselves. And I would say, it's really hard if you don't get to hear something in your own language for a couple of years. And I've got um, these audio players with uh, the Bible on them and about 2,000 songs in the languages of the maids that work in Lebanon. And I would like to, to give these to the girls inside your building. I said, but I can't see them. Because, you know, if I go up and I knock on the, on the door, the, the madame will tell me to get lost because she doesn't know me. And that happened a few times. But I said, but you, you know, she sees you all the time. And she's not afraid of you. So I said, if you're willing, you could talk to the madame and you could say, look, this foreigner came along from the church and um, she's offering this free gift to your maid. Doesn't have anything else on it, just the Bible and songs, nothing to be afraid of. And, um, you know, if, if she accepts, we've done a good thing. We've done a good deed. And if she doesn't accept, then we haven't lost anything. You can just, I'll come back in a week and you can give it back to me. And I said, we're not doing this 
secretly, you know, I don't want you to sneak it into her because I know what they're thinking, that if I give it to the maid and the madame sees it, she's going to say, where'd you get that from? And it's, it's going to get me in trouble. So I say, we're walking in the light. We're, I'm from the church. We're not doing this in a sneaky way. Walking in the light. And, you know, would you be prepared to do that? And 95%, if not more, they would agree to do that. And I haven't actually done the stats, but I think about 70% of them got, got in. And so I gave out about 7,900 of these audio players during the time that I was in Lebanon. And some of you gave um, to that project through the Give a Little that I started. So uh, actually um, I was taken in when I was uh, in one area. Oh, this is a, a Bangladeshi lady getting her, her audio player. And there's another one. The next one is an Ethiopian girl. I hissed that one over the fence and she took one for her neighbour as well. So they love these audio players. Just before I came home at my farewell party, um, my friend was telling me uh, that she'd met one of these concierges. He didn't know that she knew me. There was, he, he didn't realise the connection. But he said there was a girl in his building from Ethiopia and she was always crying. Whenever he saw her, she was crying. And he said, and one day this foreign lady came along and she gave these um, audio players for the, the maids in the building and I gave one to this Ethiopian girl and he said from that day she was completely different. He said she always had her headphones on and she was always happy. So that was, uh, it was really, I, I did get a little bit of feedback sometimes. I know that those audio players were very well listened to. And so as I was wandering around uh, in January this year, and then I, I reached a suburb that was controlled by Hezbollah. And um, I didn't realise, well, I should have realised I was very stupid, but they, they, were, they were watching me. And so um, they, they took me in for questioning. And they were very, very impressed with that map that I showed you. <laughs> they uh, commended me on my, um, on my, what's the word? Diligence. <laughs> commended me on my diligence. And, uh, they, but they said we... Um, we can't really have you walking around in this area. They said, we're even if there's a cat that we don't know, we're afraid of it. Because uh, you know, bombs have gone off in, the, in that particular area. So they said, it's not that, we're, you know, that we don't like what you're doing, but we, can't, we cannot have you walking around in this area. And um, they, they questioned me for about three or four hours, the young guy from Hezbollah. And uh, he wanted to know how. He said, I want, first, the first thing he said to me is, I want to know... I want to understand who you are. And so he asked lots of questions like, how did it happen that you came to Lebanon? What do you mean God called you? How, what do you mean you became a Christian? Weren't you born a Christian? And he had lots of questions and he, was, he, he listened really well. And then uh, they turned to me over to general security, Lebanese general security, and I spent a night in a, in a prison, which was, I was with the Filipinos. It was lovely. <laughs> I'd always wanted to see inside that particular prison before. It's a detention centre for uh, migrant workers, for maids. And so I got to see it from the inside of the bars. And uh, it was actually fine. And the next day they apologised to me and they said um, it was just a misunderstanding. And this, I said, will it affect my, um, the renewal of my residence? And they said, no, not at all. And they lied. <laughs> because in January I applied for, uh, sorry, in June I applied for the renewal of my residency and it was declined, and so that's why I'm back in New Zealand now. Um, I 
want to show you a clip from, where am I up to here? Yeah, I want to show you this, this issue of these maids is um, starting to come into um, focus in the world at the moment. Recently there was a BBC documentary, and I don't know if BBC has been shown in church before, but here we go. It's a, an introduction to the world of the maids. Maybe we can turn the lights off? Thanks. Millions of women, mainly from Africa and Asia, work as domestic servants in the Middle East. But many face harsh conditions and are trapped in what's seen as a brutal form of modern-day slavery. Under a system known as kafala, their passports are confiscated and they're bound to their employer, risking punishment or imprisonment if they try to get out. A new documentary, Made in Hell, is the first part of the BBC's Why Slavery series and it follows employment agents who vividly describe the trade as well as maids who struggle to find a way home after harrowing, sometimes deadly experiences. Let's take a look. Yeah, so this issue of the, these domestic workers got me more and more angry. And as I, as I walked around the buildings and I heard the stories from the concierges of um, abuse that they were witnessing, I, I wanted to do something about it. And uh, I, I started a website, and my, my friend and I, and then we deleted it because we got afraid, because we thought maybe the security, you know, the authorities would track it back to us. And then a friend of mine was uh, visiting Lebanon. He's also looking to, to be a missionary. He'd visited before. And one day in my lounge, he said to me, um, why don't you do something for these maids? Why don't you create a website or something? And I said, I did, but I cancelled it because I, I was nervous. And he said, um, do you know what I do? And I said, yes, you're at Bible College. <laughs> and he said, yes, but I'm also an internet security specialist. And so uh, he went back to, um, to the US and he created a website called This Is Lebanon. And we also made a Facebook page by the same name. And it's, it's become the hotline now for, for domestic workers. There is a hotline, but it doesn't usually work. And now we have 40, about 40,000 followers on Facebook. And if there's a problem, now the girls can't, we're basically the first port of call for, for these girls. And as I was going around giving out the audio players, one of the concierges, a Syrian man, said there's a girl up there on the sixth floor. And he said, I know she's in trouble. Uh, she has, she's been here for years and years. He said, I've been the, working here for six years and she's never been home in that time. He said, when she's out cleaning the car, the madame stands up on the balcony 
and she looks down to make sure that she doesn't escape and then as soon as she's finished cleaning the car she runs inside I said just get me her telephone number back in the Philippines and it took him three months to get it but one day when she was cleaning the car as she walked in she dropped a little piece of paper on the ground and he managed he, he got the number and I got a Filipino friend to ring this number in the, in the Philippines. And the person on the other line almost dropped dead because he said, that's my wife. And I haven't heard from her for 10 years. And he said, and she's never sent money. She sent money the month that she arrived and after that we never received any more money. And so um, Halima's story was one of the first stories on our Facebook page and on our website. And uh, it got 20,000 views. It really, it launched our page, really. And as a result of pressure from that page, Halima was sent home. So I'm going, we, we followed her to the Philippines because we thought it was important to tell her story. Her madame is a politician, and she's a friend of the, Le you know, she's, there's a, on the madame's Facebook page, there's a photo of her with the Lebanese president. So she's very, and with the, the head of the Maronite church in Lebanon. So she's very well connected and this is um, just a small clip from the documentary that we made about Halima. Tapos, pag halimbawa, ni minsan ba naisip mong na, na sa isip mo bang tumakas? Gusto ko rin tumakas pero paano ako makatakas ay kandado ako? Nakakandado ka? Oo. oo. Ano, nais na minsan ba Naisip mo na rin na parang magpaka, magpakamatay yung ganun? Naisip ko rin para magkamatay pero naisip ko yung mga anak ko. Naisip ko yung mga anak mo? Oo! Ang oh. masasabi ko po kay Madam Iptisang Saari ay masaya siya sa ginawa niya sa aking nanay. Hindi lang niya ang naisip na kung saan kanya nag-anak gagawin. Ito na ginawa niya sa amin na okay. sampung taon na hindi nakikat. Okay. Naka, nakapiling ay nanay tapos pinauwi pa siya na walang dala sahod sana. Makakulong ang angon niya. Ina. Nagot sa batas. Yeah, so the law will not punish her. It's taken um, a year and four months since we got lawyers for Halima. And the case has just reached the courts now. And it will probably take three or four years if she ever does get justice. So that is the problem, that there is really no justice for these women. Um, I forgot to say that when we set up the page, uh, we, I couldn't put my name because I was still living in Lebanon, but um, Udmila, who uh, Colleen has introduced, her brother used to live in Lebanon. He was a migrant worker there for 15 years. And um, he actually came to know Jesus in the prison in Lebanon. And so um, he's the face of our page. So if we, um, it's great because we have someone who's a real person and they, you know, Dependra is 
is the, is the, is the face of our page. But um, at one stage, the page became unpublished by Facebook. Often when we, um, we, we name and shame the, these abusers, and if they're powerful enough, they um, get everybody to report the page as bullying or whatever, I don't know what they report it as. And once, um, a year or so ago, our page was unpublished. And the day it happened, I was at prison. I, I used to visit the maids in prison once a week. And um, we were working our way through the, the book of Exodus. And that day was uh, the day we, were, uh, we spoke about when they reached the Red Sea and the army are behind them and the, you know, the, the sea in front of them. And I preached on that verse, stand still and see how the Lord your God will fight for you. And I preached a lovely little sermon and I patted myself on the back. <laughs> and I went home and then I found my page was unpublished. And then I thought, wow, I wonder if that really works, that verse. <laughs> because I really have no way of contacting the Facebook machine. And I went on to some community groups to see what happens when, to other people who had their page unpublished. And no one ever got their page back. Even one group had 120,000 followers and lost their page and had to start again. So, uh, a couple of days later, I got an email and it was from Facebook. And all it said was, your page has been republished. And it was signed by a Nepali man. And so I thought, well, that's amazing. Like, I could not have engineered that. Like I don't, I couldn't contact anyone, and the fa the the face of our page is Nepali, and here is a a Nepali man inside the Facebook machine, who reviewed our page and we got it back. So I mean, I I really give thanks to God for that. I really saw that as God's hand at work. Um, I want to show you another clip now. This is a Nepali lady. Uh, this is, she also was a slave in Lebanon for 10 years and also through uh, pressure from our page, she was sent home. And this is just a little clip of, of her mother. Video. Ani. Merzari. Teheraini. Rohi baira echa darale. Manji de neza te ikura bolnubunitsorza. Merzari esto. Bayer Patanu Baisa Mirz Harigo Kami Jastuza Ustoi Jati Bagosa Usko Baisa Jati Bakurita Titi Yerida Patahiti Nola Das Barzago Kami Patahiti Nola Mero Bugombale Bubo Mate Bidegosa Ambro जान सबै छ जानै छैन जानु भर्तैन भनेर साउले नपठाउने अरे राम्रोलाई राम्रो पनि नगर्ने अरे साउले कुर्ने बेलामा त लो अब म यही मारे भन्नेको जस्तो हुन्छ अरे अब उसको पैसा कति रहिस हेरेर पठाइदिनु होला साराहरुले त्यति मात्रै भन्दिनु So her employer was a doctor and a Christian. <laughs> so uh, it's uh, it's not something that is um, always by you know the, the abusers aren't always Muslim. Sometimes they're Christian. 
it's cultural more than religious. So, yeah, abusers come from all walks of life and both religious backgrounds. About 50% of the cases that come to us are from the girls themselves. They've managed to um, contact us through the Facebook page. And 50% come from um, informants. So maybe on the, on the balcony above the maid that is being abused is another maid, and they talk from balcony to balcony. And so uh, some of our, and sometimes we've been contacted by Lebanese as well now. So more and more people are becoming, are starting to know about our page. Uh, since we started keeping records in June last year, so about a year, we've had 1,600 people contact us. And we've uh, managed to send 41 women home who were being basically enslaved. So we were contacted by um, a man in Ghana. His name is Stephen. He said, my sister uh, has been in Lebanon for two years. She's not sending money. He said, someone saw her on the street and took a photo of her and sent it to me. And she looks um, emaciated. She's, you know, no money, no contact, anything you can do to help us. And I got the contact details of the madame. First thing we do is we find them on Facebook. We search for them by their number. We find them on Facebook. We strip their friends list. We strip all their photos. <laughs> and then we, um, we contact them and we ask them if they, you know, to see if they will cooperate with us. We have been uh, accused of being a blackmailing mafia. Uh, Dependra, Ermila's uh, brother, is the head of the gang. <laughs> but um, we, we've never asked for a cent for ourselves. All we want is these girls' salary, which is, I mean, is just their legal right. If they cooperate with us and they agree to um, pay the girl and release her, we promise them that we'll, they will never see themselves on social media. So if they cooperate with us, everything goes well for them. If they don't, then we end up, we have no option but to post the story. So I'm Patricia in the next video. We all use like code names. My mother's middle name is Patricia, so it's in honour of my gangster mother. Hi, I'm fine and you're... Good, thank you. Thank you very much. Could I um, talk to her on your phone? These are the abusers in the picture. No, I'm sorry, because I'm always busy at work, and I cannot allow her to use any phone, because when use the phone, she is making all this trouble. Wait two months, she will be in Ghana. Maybe I'm waiting for another girl. Once the other girl will arrive, I will uh, I will book for her, and she will be in Ghana. Yeah, in maximum two weeks, uh, two a month, she will be in Ghana. No, I can't wait two months. I need to check on her. She is very fine. Aslan, the rules here in Lebanon, nobody, is, uh, nobody can force me here to buy her a phone or to let her contact her family. She has right only for six months or every one year to call her family. Nothing in the contra forced me to, to let her contact her family all the time. She's entitled to a phone call once a month. Once a month. Uh, two weeks ago she called her mom. No, she didn't. I'm talking to her brother. Lena has taken my sister to Lebanon for two years now. You don't hear from her. My mother is so sick because she don't hear from her. She has been thinking about my sister every day. 
hope you are fine over there. Yes, I hope you are fine. Yeah, so she wasn't fine, and they didn't. He initially agreed to cooperate. He did send her home, but he sent her home without her two years' salary. And she's still in a psychologically, she's just a mess now. So, yeah, that that was one of the clips that we did put on Facebook. Um, I have other people working with me now, so we're a team of about five, and one of the girls. Uh, that was Ethiopian. 80% of our cases are Ethiopians. One of the girls working with me in Beirut, um, at the start we weren't so, so careful. And she started to, she gave her personal pri you know, phone number to some of the victims, which we thought would be fine. But then her phone number started to go out. <laughs> and more and more people started to contact her. And I became afraid for her safety. And um, I didn't know what to do. I rang, and she was, already, uh, she was already accepted as a refugee with the UN. And so I called immigration specialists in New Zealand, asking if they could help, and they said, no, it would, it's, it would, it's impossible to get to New Zealand, really. And I talked to people who were part of the uh, Red Cross resettlement program, and everyone I talked to said it will need a miracle. And I told my sister that, who's my main prayer supporter, and she said, well, it's just as well we have God, a God who does those. <laughs> and so um, I didn't know what to do for her. And then one day a, a woman contacted the page about a, a Filipino she needed help for. And then I was able to assist her. And she said at the end, we foreigners who live in Lebanon are just so thrilled with what this page is doing. And I said, she thinks I'm in Canada. I said, oh, thank you very much. That's very encouraging of you. What do you do in Lebanon? And she said, I work for the UN. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, actually, three days later, I'll call her Sada, had her um, interview with the head of the resettlement program in Lebanon. And she arrived in Toronto in Canada the day I arrived in Auckland, New Zealand. So uh, I said to her, it might be a race to see who gets out first. And we left on the same day. So uh, I'm going on, on Tuesday to meet up with the, the team that are working in Canada. So we do, um, we still have people in Lebanon, but we, I, even I don't know their real names. Uh, the, the Ethiopian girl hides their identity and we run a safe house and we're able to um, sometimes organise rescues and that kind of thing. So next pick. Oh. That's them, the two girls that are, are working with me. They're amazing. The one on the right is the one that is now in Canada. And she barely goes out. She just sits down in her basement like a little troll <laughs> and um, works on cases all day. So she's uh, in Canada, but like me, her head and her heart are still in Lebanon. Next one. This is our logo. So remember, I got you to get your phones out. So if you're on, if you're on Facebook, <laughs> uh, then you, even my mother's on Facebook and she's 77, so you've got no excuse. <laughs> this is our logo and it's called This Is Lebanon. You need to search for it and you need to like our page. And if you're really kind, you'll share it and tell everyone else to like it. And because of the algorithms in Facebook, you'll probably never see our posts anyway. <laughs> but um, your like gives us power. 
Because the first thing an abuser does is they go to us, who is this is Lebanon? And they look on our Facebook page to see how many, um, how many followers we have. So, and if you comment sometimes, that's also really good because the Lebanese government hate foreigners reading these stories and they hate you commenting. <laughs> so uh, we've now just last week been blocked. Our website has been blocked in Lebanon by the Lebanese government which gives us more credibility anyway, so we, we're very thankful to them. Uh, but, yeah, so if you can like our page and share it with others, that would be great. And I started to give a little, um, a give a little page, but it hasn't been approved yet because they think they're not quite sure of why I'm doing it and we're based in Canada. But um, it's the same logo and the same name, This is, this is Lebanon. So maybe if they had a few more donations, they'll actually think we're credible and approve our page. And if they don't, you'll get your money back. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it. All of us behind it, uh, we're, we're all believers. We're, we're nearly all evangelical Christians. And we, we're, we feel like we're giving a voice to the voiceless. I never in my wildest dreams thought I would be doing this 23 years ago. And God has led me on a journey. But I feel at the moment that I'm using all of the, um, the skills that, he has, that I've developed, like Arabic and my love for the maids and all my connections and, yeah, all glory to God. Thank you. We're going to move into a time of communion. It takes great courage and self-sacrifice to do what we've heard about this morning. For Stephanie to leave the comfort of New Zealand and go into a foreign country and put herself at risk by doing the sort of work that she has been doing. Makes us wonder what it must have been like for Jesus who was living in heaven and came down to earth to live with us and to set us free. I'm still thinking a lot about Easter and I think of the Last Supper when Jesus took communion with his disciples and they'd found this upper room or this room and in those days there was a hierarchy and it was the servant that would wash the people's feet and in those days they didn't they just had sandals and there was a lot of sewage in the streets and so Jesus and his disciples arrive in this room. And all the disciples are thinking, where am I going to sit? I want to be as close to Jesus as I can. And then they're also thinking, who's going to wash our feet? Because it was the lowliest servant that washed the feet. But then Jesus got a basin of water and washed his disciples' feet. And Jesus calls all of us to be servants. Jesus came to seek and to serve and to find that which was lost. And he gave his life a ransom for many. And he calls all of us to be servants, to use our gifts to serve him. But some of us prefer to sit than to serve. We would rather be served ourselves than 
to serve others. This church is full of wonderful people that serve others in very quiet ways. They don't draw attention to themselves. They don't boast about what they do. They just quietly serve the Lord through the ministries of this church and in their own neighborhoods. And I'm so grateful to the wonderful people that come along to this church who willingly serve in so many ways. And this church is starting to come alive because we are all parts of the body of Christ. We have a, a function, a role to play. And when we start using the gifts that God's given us and we serve others, this church becomes a life-giving body. And we're starting to see that happen in all sorts of ways. So ultimately, Jesus went on and gave his life for our sin. He sacrificed his own life to take the punishment for our sin so that we can be forgiven and that we can go to heaven when this life ends to be with the Lord in paradise in heaven forever and ever. So as we take communion this morning, meditate on what Jesus has done for you. Gave his life, poured out his blood so that we can live. Washed his disciples' feet. Suffered the most horrific death. And then examine your own life. And ask yourself the question, am I a sitter or a server? And what are the ways that God is calling me to use the gifts that he has given you and me to serve him in this town, in this church, in this community? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. But we thank you for the way Jesus is setting people free from slavery all around the world. And Lord, maybe we need to be set free. Maybe we've got our own pride and self-centeredness and you need to set us free from ourselves. You need to release us so that we can serve others and we can use our life to bring life to others. Lord, we thank you that Jesus poured out his life for us. We thank you for his blood that was shed, for his body that was broken. And so, Lord, as we take the wine and the bread this morning, reveal yourself to us in a special way. Come to us, speak to us. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our bodies to serve you in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.